It's all about kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying the show. Take the time out of your day to listen to new music and the new sound of radio. Tune in every day, all day, for the greatest hits, latest news, and community events that you can be a part of. MoncoRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Welcome everybody to Damage Radio. We're heard here live on MonkaRadio.com where music reminds me. You already know me, I'm RC. Alongside Danny Kukler stepping in the house. What up? What up? Nat, the ultimate Kiss fan porter. Dave's trying to turn that music right down, so we're gonna yeah, wait a second. Sorry, sorry. There I he goes. Hear myself on the there he goes. You're so. fired. I'm fired today. And we got a special guest in the house. We have a stand-up comedian and a writer who you might have seen on the panelist at Fox News. Uh, he's appeared on sketches on Conan O'Brien, written material for Saturday Night Live, Weekend Update, Attack of the Joes, G4, and also writer for WWE, the one and only Chris Freed. Welcome to Damage Radio, man. Hi, let me know if you can hear me. Or do I have to hit my on button? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah. hear you good. Now, my now ears, we, I don't hear anything. Now, now yeah. we can hear you. Okay. And also in oh, the shit. house, there we go. also in the house from Wissahickon, <laughs> we got John and Rachel checking us out. Damage Radio, first timers. Guys, welcome to the show. So, Chris, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Hi. Well, you said a lot of it. So Thank you. That was that was a very great introduction. Actually, Chris, I actually move like... your mic a little over. So yeah, yeah. So, there we go. So, so I could stare at everyone's beautiful Ooh, face yes. here. Nice. Uh, I'm from Allentown, PA, too, nice. um, which is was a, not a not a long drive. Okay. But yeah, I'm from Allentown. Went to DeSales, also, which isn't too far. You guys know DeSales. Yep. All? Okay. Um, and then yeah, I live New York, LA. Uh, Stamford, Connecticut, a little bit with the WWE stuff, and nice. just got back uh, from, not just, but back from L.A., so a lot of New York now again, but nice. great to be here. Nice, man. <laughs> a pleasure are, to have you. Are you promoting anything right now? I'm always promoting something, uh, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I have, a, I have a new album, somewhat new. Uh, nice. It's called It Takes a Privilege, uh, Chris Freed, Chris with a K, Freed spelled like fried. Um on spotify or itunes or amazon or all that um but i say spotify first because most people are cheap and they just want to listen to it for free if you have true. spotify so do that everyone's <laughs> got to get a little, little bit here and there but yeah. uh yeah talk about you know back in the when I mean, you first start out some childhood dreams that you had and uh did they end up in what you're doing now well i'm certainly on uh, i'm on the pathway i the you know the dream was always comedy in general i kind of you know i was a big like adam sandler jim carrey type oh, yeah. so like you know, you you aim big, but then you figure out how to get somewhere, and that's where you get into improv and stand-up and all that. So it's become more of a stand-up and writing kind of career. And then um, I filmed a pilot that we're getting out there soon. Uh, it's called Collecting. Nice. Uh, so look for that. But um, so, yeah, that's what I kind of want to get into that as the next dream is more of an on-screen, um, you know, TV series or something like that. So... We'll see. We'll yeah. see if we can sell it. But one day at a time, right? Exactly. Take so, it one day at a time, baby. One That's little right. little show in a bar at a time. That's, That's right. Uh, still the game. So, what <laughs> era of WWE did you work for? It specifically, what years? Um, I was right out of college. Oh seven. Wow. Is when I first. So I went in to interview uh, as a as a writer, which I guess would have been the writer's assistant position, and then you become the writer. But so. I was right out of college, and someone else got that, but they said, uh, they said, hey, do you want to join the creative team for the website? So I did that just to, like, get in, and I was in New York at the time, so I commute to Stanford, nice. and it was fun just because you get to go to the big building there, and, and then we eventually got to work from home, which let me do all the other comedy stuff and, right. and all that. But um, So I was 07 to, like, 2013. Wow, that, which that's was, a good run. Which was, you know, a lot of the blogging and website kind of stuff uh and then they never it's sort of they ended up laying everybody off at because we we developed this thing i don't know if you remember it it was called the wwe universe yes like oh, website yes. and that's when nine, we nine, had nine. to do like featured blogging things and i got to work with wrestlers on like interviews and stuff like that but then they just scrapped all that like social media stuff and just stuck with the facebook and twitter and all that 
So it never really led to the touring with Monday Night Raw kind of position. Right. But that's okay. It was a right. good time. We definitely got a whole bunch to talk about. Danny's jumping <laughs> yeah. the gun here a little bit. Oh, but, uh, sorry. oh sorry. I, sorry. Yeah. I had jumped the gun there. I was just, <laughs> I was just interested in definitely. that because I, I I was wondering, like, who were you under and who, yeah. any interesting stories you had from the website at the time you were with WWE? Um, I, I mean, I guess the one of the names, Howard Finkel, was uh, he was like one of the big, uh, you know, website. I don't know what his position was, but he was there all the time. So him, and then like Joey Styles yeah. was always around, and uh, you know you get like the, they come in for interviews and stuff. So like Ric Flair was probably my favorite sort of pop in, but I didn't really get to talk to him a lot. But it was he was just there. And, you know. But being a but, fan, you know, when seeing these guys come in, how was it like to be able to talk to them and like? Oh yeah, that's what's that's what's you know, it's fun because then you see. And since then, I've like. My my friend's Ian Riccoboni, who does yes. like Ring of Honor yeah, and all that. Him up a couple very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he we went to Salisbury together in, in uh, oh, Allentown. Wow. So um, since then, he takes me to these shows, and it's so fun because you know, like the Briscoe brothers are these crazy. J Mark. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you you're so scared of them when they come down the aisle, and you're like, holy, you know, I don't want to run into these guys. Yeah. And then you see them backstage, and they're just like, oh, hey, thanks for coming. That was great. And I'm like. Oh, you're normal. Yeah. Okay. They're, like, they're promo but, work. Promo yeah. work. Yeah, it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Like, Jay and Mark come off as the most intimidating bad butt people in the <laughs> industry yeah. when they do their promos. It, it's real. It, it's really a sight to behold when oh, they're yeah. on their chicken farm So yeah, in yeah. Delaware. Definitely. And I guess it's sort of a change because it used to be more like Macho Man type people, which, by the way, uh, wearing a Macho Yay. Man T-shirt, which is cream of the beautiful, crop. beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So back in the day, I feel like they were a little more crazier, and like their real life personas were them. Like Savage never got out of the whole ooh yeah, like everywhere. Yep. So and now Hulk, Hulk Hogan, people like are a little brother, more, you know? yeah, yeah. They're a little more normal, I think now, <laughs> privately. Definitely. But because I got uh, the other one, not to jump the gun on Gutfeld, but on the Gutfeld show. Uh, Tyrus yeah. is on there, and I, I enjoy watching him. So I was just like, "Oh my god, I'm working in this like comedic atmosphere with this huge wrestler that I know as a, a dancing dinosaur in <laughs> WWE, and now he's like a normal person that you know, but <laughs> and intelligent too, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. But uh, damage fans, if you have a question or comment for Chris or anyone here, two one five six one nine seven three six six. I repeat, two one five six one nine seven three six six. Give us a call. So before we go more into your career, um, I talk about uh, the uh, best storylines and also worst storylines in professional wrestling. Um, maybe do a little, quick little roundtable of that. Um, mm-hmm. Kooks, I'd like you to start. Ooh, there there are a lot. There are a lot. There are. A let's lot. go. Let's go. Let's go <laughs> to our favorite ones first. So, one of my favorites is the ROH CZW storyline. Okay. Uh, from oh. the Independents. Um, th- that cage of death. Um, they did at, in Philadelphia mm-hmm. at the National Guard Armory. Love that war, war, war game style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, JJ Dillon flipping the coin, <laughs> and then yeah, Danielson turning in the middle of the match because he didn't want to, he wanted a ROH world title shot. And it didn't have nothing to do with he ROH's storylines back in like 06, 07, 08 mm-hmm. when Sapolsky was booking were were so intricate and Wow, I didn't know how deep we were going here. Where's yeah. Ian when you need him? Yeah, he would be he's been up here a couple all times. Over. He's he's a good guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I I enjoyed that and something a little more contemporary would be the punk MJF mm-hmm. feud, oh, yeah. dude. Um because it does reference those Ring of Honor promos that Punk did against Raven. Mm-hmm. And the punk promo he did when he won the title in 05. It, it, and it's still going. There's, and it's well, still going. Well, well, it well, would be are, still yeah. going. If, would you know. be still Which going. Is in, I'm very interested but, to see what's going on with that, that yeah. whole feud. They'll get back to it. Yeah. I, you know, it's too good to, yeah. to skip. <laughs> For me, Kooks, um, I had to say McMahon versus McMahon, father versus son. Uh, I think that was the best <laughs> version of a father versus son food. Back in uh, 20, uh, 2021. Well, we'll see what the Mysterios do about Yeah, we'll see about up, Dominic and his mullet, you know? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it wasn't just a robbery over issues like Control over Raw and SmackDown. It was, you know, doing the right thing versus everything around you going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And that was the best about that. And uh, there's the image of WCW showing up when Shane came out, you know? Yeah. And it, that could have went so much better. Mm-hmm. That's one of my worst that we'll go into later. But, okay. you know, none of the big-name stars were 
coming over. So Vince actually wanted to make WCW and keep that brand going. Yeah. But yeah. then all the bad. Yeah, the contract very, situation was which blew it, which I never really understood because I feel like, well, I don't know. I guess they could have bought him out, but it would have been, I don't know. Right. I just don't know how you don't see the upside of in that. Right. Where um, you should be willing to buy out the outsiders right. in order to get them a better deal to get because that's all people wanted they to see was the big stars of you know. So, sorry to interrupt. They actually had an opportunity to buy WCW in October of two thousand, and that would have been a lot more different yeah. than if they actually bought it in, when they did in April two thousand one because mm-hmm. that was before the major TV deal that they got with the Nashville Network and mm-hmm. Viacom. Um, and it would have changed like how WCW would have been perceived mm-hmm. because actually WCW would have actually had a television show to do, do. Yeah, and then you could do an actual invasion storyline. Yeah, exactly. You know. Without Chavo being the main event, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> showing or stage, Buff yeah. Back, or yeah. Buff Bagwell versus Booker T. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Damn that's it. a shame. Bagwell never uh, lasted. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, now, do you have one? My my favorite of all time is uh, Savage Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. And I don't mean fighting. I just mean <laughs> just because they're, the love story goes in and out of other feuds. Like, you know, it starts where he comes in and he's a bad guy, but everyone still likes her because she's just nice and whatever. Then you get into the Hogan storyline with the jealousy and, you know. Mega powers he, explode. Exactly. The mega powers. And then... Savage goes crazy full heel with Sherry, and then Elizabeth comes back, does the WrestleMania Seven uh, reuniting where people are crying in the in the, and then that involves the the feud with uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Then he comes back, he feuds with Jake the Snake because of Elizabeth, and then the whole Ric Flair, uh, you know, the fake photographs and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think Savage and Elizabeth love story is the is my favorite storyline. I don't know if that it doesn't count as a feud, but it's, well, it's my favorite storyline because you're bringing in all these different face turns, a bunch of different runs with different people, and it's, you know, it was just uh, especially the the career ending match was right with one of Warrior, my favorite. Yeah. With yeah. Warrior, yeah, that that match so, is phenomenal. Right. Well, yeah. Warrior assisted Savage right to win the WWF Championship and that's how the duo got together. Yep. Yep. And then um we had uh Mega Powers and Miss Elizabeth and then um they beat every heel tag team in 80, yeah, And Hogan's closeness yeah. with Elizabeth got, you know, Savage yeah. real jealous. And then it's kind of funny because when you look back, like, Hogan's supposed to be the, the super face. But then really, he you know, he knew what he was doing. Right. He was trying to get in on that. So, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. And, but uh, Elizabeth had to go on the top, uh, yeah. had to go on the, on the curtain, you know? Yep. And she had to get knocked over and then mm-hmm. rest is, I remember watching I that. just, everything about the, it, that's those years, like 87 to 92 are so great. But. Yep. I got the Royal Rumble anthology for, from 88 to, oh like, yeah. Yeah, that was the 92 times. Rumble is one of my favorite matches of all yeah, time. definitely. Who won that one? Flair. Oh, Flair. come on. The Flair you know. one with Heenan nice. rooting on. I'm putting him on the spot. Flair goes in at number three and, and yep, sets and the record. The table. And uh, a lot of good, mo- like Roddy Piper coming in uh, against him. It was great. That match to me is like, in like in like the 2010, it, that's like the past, present, and future of WWF. Mm-hmm. Also, at, I will say, time. honestly, what makes the match is uh, Heenan's commentary. Yes. Do you know Bobby Heenan? I agree. Yep. Bobby the Brain Heenan, also a, uh, a big uh, comedic influence of mine through wrestling. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah, he was so great. If you go back and listen to you know him and Gorilla Monsoon and whatever, he's just real quick. Real great. <laughs> yeah, he was like the the guys on the on commentary, the one that helped you know bring the matches alive because like mm-hmm. they were watching the, and listening to them live on Raw, in fact, on every week. And also, like especially recently, I've noticed that some people try to go heel commentator, but it's not like you can tell they're just saying what they think they should say as a bad guy. Heenan feels like he honestly believes it, and he just comes off very you know like he gets super frustrated at. You know, whenever a good guy is breaking the rules and not getting caught, right. it's just so believable. Now, like, not that I don't like Corey Graves, but sometimes y- you can tell it's tongue in cheek, and you know. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but I like to get into. Uh, we can go back to the, our uh, favorite storylines, but uh, Saturday Night Live. I know John's has a lot of questions regarding that. Uh, how'd that opportunity come out to write material for SNL? 
Uh, so I, I started interning at Conan uh, the year before that. Conan's and awesome. He, yeah, yeah, especially the late night with Conan when he was NBC. was yes. was so great. Um, and then the I did two internship semesters, and I had one left where I could do like you know one more as far as credits go. And I was like, well, I want to try to get over to SNL so because just because. And it eventually met people in the office and, you know, made it happen and uh, utilized that last internship credit on <laughs> on getting over to SNL. But uh, so then when I was there, um, I just found out through, I think I overheard, you know, one of the other interns who had been there for another year that he was like writing weekend update jokes. And I was like, well, how do I do that? What do you mean? I didn't know this was part of the thing. And it's not, but you just kind of go and talk to someone and, you know, if you get along, they, he says, yeah, sure, you can submit. And so then during the internship, I got to submit. And then uh, Colin Jost was just starting as a writer at the time. So we hung out a little bit at, like, after parties and stuff. So then when I left the internship, I kind of just asked him, like, hey, can I still, you know, freelance jokes and stuff? And he just kind of, I would just email the guy and, so then I got to do that for the next several years. So that's awesome. So when yeah. doing an internship, like what was the uh, most most you learned during that time? Uh, just to not take anything personal on like rejection, and right. because you know, you spend especially when you first start, you're like, oh yay, I get to you know, but then you'll submit twenty jokes for the first four weeks and not get one on dress rehearsal or anything, and then you're like, well, this is stupid, like. Right. Do I suck at this or do they just hate? But, you know, you just have to be like, no one really overthinks. They just, they look at hundreds and hundreds of jokes. And even if yours is so, so clever and no one else cares, you just, you can't, you know, they, things get on for reasons that you'll never know. You just have to say, who cares next week, you know, moving on. But so, yeah, it was just that. Just always keep trying your best and never think you suck just because no one cares. Right. Yeah, it's that self-talk that sort of drives you in, yeah. in sort of that positive self-talk that sort of says, I'm going to do this very well. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this to the best of my ability, and I don't care about the rejection. Yeah, and then the worst the worst that could happen is all the writers say, hey, so this guy sucks. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> right. And you go away, and they forget about you in a year anyway. So you can come back, and meet someone later, and go, and then maybe they'll like you. So, But doing the open mic nights and all that probably – prepared you to do well i hadn't like this, right? i hadn't started stand-up until after the whole wow, college so stuff. If it was reversed so, like yeah yeah story right because i went into it thinking that maybe writing would be a, the, a better way to get a job to get to know someone who might think you're funny and then maybe put you on a screen in something just because that's i don't know like chevy chase kind of did that and, and steve martin and stuff but um so yeah i didn't I sort of avoided stand-up for the longest time just because it is hard and intimidating at first. And then once I was out and, like, going with WWE, then we were working from home, so I kind of just started to dare myself. I had more free time, and I said, you know what? I should be, you know, take, giving this a shot and right. going to mics and stuff because I was in New York. So Definitely. Now, at Saturday Night Live, do you remember uh, this favorite, favorite memory that sticks out? you doing weekend updates or anything in um you can share no i mean most of the most of the good memories were just regular intern random things not not even like um like getting a joke on or anything um because we were asked we were talking earlier about i i had to like struggle to think of jokes Mm -hmm. but just stories there are more so just like after party stuff right and just weird run-ins of you know seeing Keenan Thompson like smoking with whoever and just you know a whole cloud of some weird area in a yeah. club yeah uh, but i don't know i ran into i got to run literally run into Steve Martin one time really um, oh wow and i the, the most nervous i've been with like celebrity sort of starstruckness was at the it was the season finale and I don't know why I wasn't aware of my surroundings and like I had to deliver some paper and I had to go past like the main host like when you see on the show 
they go backstage and they walk past. It's like that little hallway right there. And as I was going into the hallway, I realized no one else was standing around. Like, I was like, it's supposed to be really crowded here. Is it? So I, I, I go into this little, there's just three people. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. And then I realized everyone's like looking and they're probably thinking like, what is this kid doing to get out of the hallway? And so I, I go through this little crowd and it was it was Martin Short, Steve Martin and Paul McCartney. And I was just like, that I'm probably going to step on your shoes. And and I just got like really stunned. And yeah, so I just kept walking and like delivered my paper and then stood back like, I hope I don't get yelled at for this or what's. But they didn't care. They were just like, hey, yeah, yeah go ahead, you know. But <laughs> Paul and his Paul voice yeah, would be like, go ahead. That's how it always is, is that, like, they, those kind of people never care what anyone's doing ever. But then, like, you get so worried that your intern coordinator is going to yell at you. for, And you're like, shut up. No yeah. one cares. Right. <laughs> right. In, in reality, they don't care. So why should the intern coordinator yeah. care? <laughs> oh, we, yeah. got, we got a live question here. John, you, if you're a huge Saturday Night Live fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Hello, John. How are you? Uh, Walk us through what it looks like from week to week on Saturday Night Live. Let's say a a show ends. I know there's after parties and stuff. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, Oh, God, yeah. I'm sure you can tell all kinds (laughs) of stories. and Feel free to. But after that, when do you, like, rev up and how do you rev up for the following week? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's different for people with more important jobs there. But uh, (laughs) I I was commuting back and forth uh, to the sales at the time. Mm -hmm. So... My whole week was like, you know, I would I would do an 8.30 class, and then I would get the Bieber bus at 11, go to New York, and then I think I would take maybe the, yeah, maybe the 10, like 10 o'clock bus home, so I'd get back to the sales at midnight, and then you sleep, and you wake up again for an 8 o'clock class or whatever. So that was the whole week, and then, uh, so then on Saturdays for the show, it ends at 1, obviously, so... So then I would go in maybe 3 in the p.m. or whatever, and then the show ends at 1, and then you kind of, you're not, the interns weren't invited to the cool first after party because that's just Lorne and the cast and, you know. And so we would just go drink at a bar, but then we would go to the after after party, which is what Keenan would set up, and it would just be some bar club and, some, you know. And then we'd get there at, you know, 4 a.m., and you leave at, 7 30 a.m or something and you come out to the daylight and then i would and then i couldn't i couldn't leave at the port authority till like 11 because that was the first bus so i would i would like pass out in the port authority oh my god waiting for the beaver bus and then i would get home at you know whatever two three in the, in the afternoon on sunday and then i would just sleep all day or do whatever work and then again up monday morning at eight or whatever so it was weird for me just because I was going back and forth. I wasn't doing the full like New York uh, life, but but um, but then as far as the show, Monday is the host comes in and it's there's not really a lot going on. You just kind of go over or whatever. Tuesday is a lot of uh, pitching and well, Tuesday's like the writing day. So the writers come in and they write afternoon till like morning the next day, and then Wednesday is pitching to the host and the table reads. So like the host and the cast all sit around the table and they read every sketch and everyone makes notes on like what's going to get selected and Nor- uh, Lauren kind of chooses whatever. And then they do rewrites and, the, the, you know, Thursday is the, the crew and the, you know, the set design people do all that. And then they do sort of a rehearsal Friday and then Saturday there's a dress rehearsal at I think 8 and then the live show at 1130. Right. Wow. So. So the dress rehearsal is like, you know, longer because then they, they cut a bunch of sketches. So I think. And they reorder some of them, too. Yeah, like yeah. If they thought something yeah. was really a hit and was on mm-hmm. like one, one of the first ones, they yeah. might bump it back. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes there's a sketch that they think is like the, the winner and the crowd just hates it. Right. And then they have to cut that. And then they're and like, they all right, well, now what's our winner? Too. So, yeah, it's there's a lot of cutting and people getting mad in the hallways and. Uh, especially with update jokes with the interns, just because that was our only claim to fame. So, <laughs> so like you, you get to watch them do like a half hour long version of update, and then when they when they cut it to whatever twelve minutes, you know, 
everyone's jokes gets cut and you go, ah, I almost had one, you know, but uh, yeah, that's how it is, <laughs> but it's a good time and just craziness all around. But do you have any, uh, jokes that you really proud of? Well, I shared the one that I'm not allowed to uh, now on the air, but right. I thought of another <laughs> one. Um, the, the one joke was that someone, I forget what company or whatever reason, I don't think it was a charity thing was doing a, uh, a calendar for like a nude calendar of like 90 year olds. It was like 90 year old women that did a, a nude calendar. And <laughs> then the joke was, um, uh, if you'd like, if you'd like your picture taken with miss April, uh, services will be held Saturday <laughs> at 11 PM or whatever. <laughs> I get it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a one that I was allowed to pitch here. <laughs> so what was it like when you had one of your first um they picked one of your rights that you put on Saturday Night Live, like knowing that's gonna be live on air? How that how was that feeling? It's fun because um if you know the person, you because they write all the cue cards out still. So if you get one to dress, they're gonna write the cue card for it. So like they'll let you keep the cue card then so you can take it home and go, Yeah, awesome. it's my first I don't have mine. So <laughs> oh, no, it happens. But I don't I remember I was like I was I when I first found that out, I was like, oh, I got to remember to, you know, and then I wasn't close enough with them really yet. So I felt bad, like going down there and being like, hey, can you guys stop what you're doing and find mine? Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. so I was just intimidated and I was like, ah, who cares? I'll, but then I never got to keep one. So <laughs> I feel like I have to ask as a uh, as a teacher, uh, what would you suggest anyone who's maybe high school age? What classes should they take or what experiences should they have? In uh, order detention. To kind of, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, yeah, yeah no, no, go on. Uh, as far as if they wanted to prepare for a career similar to yours. I mean, a lot of people just, it's kind of weird just because in comedy, a lot of people try improv first. I don't know, it's just to get comfortable. And so like, those are more like theater people and stuff like that. But I know a lot of theater people that end up trying stand up too. But stand up is more definitely more of like a loner depressing personality as opposed to theater which like i think they like playing games together and like all that but um so i mean that's performing but other than that just i mean anything creative or where you learn storytelling too like i did a i, I took a whole semester with uh not semester what's that called a, I don't know, seminar with uh robert mckee who's like this you know whatever he wrote the guru book on storytelling and you break down screenplays and you learn so much about just you know basic storytelling and that's helped me i guess crafting long form well if you're going to write a screenplay or things like that but just joke telling as well just because like when i did my albums i kind of had it in the back of my head where i want the first part to you know elicit this type of a thing and then in the middle you do this and then the end you so i don't know anything where you can where you can learn storytelling and, and just writing or pitching ideas and getting comfortable with a, an idea failing too <laughs> so covered <laughs> yeah I, don't, I guess speech class is like hard for some people yeah so maybe to get over that fear public speaking just, yeah once with, especially with stand-up the sooner the sooner you look like you don't care and you like if it goes if it doesn't go well you still look like you're having a good time that comes off funny so the 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 quicker you look just confident standing there with a microphone you're going to end up getting better reactions so so anything to just fail really quick <laughs> and then get good at it <laughs> uh, as far as the writing part of your career how would someone break into that not not so much in front of the uh the, you know, behind the microphone in front yeah. of a crowd but behind the scenes writing the jokes and stuff like that i mean i'm still trying really to to break in like to where it really matters only because the like the whole agent and manager kind of thing like i've had a couple agents that don't really do anything so it's kind of like to it that that a lot of that is just social networking so like i like i got to go to uh comedy cellar in new york and i thought like when i got in i like had to audition and all this and i got passed at the comedy cellar so you're on the same show with all these 
you know, people that are on the Tonight Show and, and wherever. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, great. Now I'm just going to, like, get an agent and I'm going to get hired as a writer on whatever. But then that doesn't happen. And you're like, well, where are you supposed to meet these people? How, you know, how does this work? You can't just ask Bill Burr to get you an agent or something. I don't know. So I'm still figuring all that out. But I think just the, the, the advice would just be keep pursuing the social game with it. And I hate to say that just because I hate the whole like game aspect of it. But that is sort of my downfall is that I wish I was more like in the scene to where people are like just offering you to come on tour with them or whatever. So, so yeah, haven't really figured out the, the agent business yet. But sooner or later, once this collecting thing hits. Uh, is that one thing you would do differently? Yeah, I would say I would do because I wasn't like a big drinker. I wasn't a big drinker in like college and at SNL. So when when not that I'm saying you should go out and get drunk and <laughs> just be ri ridiculous uh, to get ahead, but it helped it the. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of times where I know myself now out, and if I would put myself now in those after parties, again, not that that's the only thing you should be smooch schmoozing the whole time, but right. but you know that's just the nature of whatever. I would be way more comfortable, and I probably would have had better stories with people that eventually became something that we'd be friends, and you know maybe they would say, "Hey, you're funny," and offer a writing job or something. But I was a little bit more reserved and kind of like nervous intern type, and so yeah, um, so yeah, get drunk as a freshman yes. and uh, lose yeah. the nerves, and then uh, try to hook up with famous people at the party. And see what happens. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> So, yeah, I wish I wish I was getting the uh, crash thing to work. Yeah, but the crash button, Danny. Oh, you're fired. <laughs> no, no, it's not me. It's not, something's wrong with it. <laughs> so, what was one of your uh, your favorite uh, musical guests on Saturday Night Live? Oh uh, well, oh well. Let's trying to think because my my first memory went to Prince because I'm a huge Prince. Oh, wow, fan. okay. But he was actually there when I was at Conan, and we I got to watch him. Um, like on the live feed, they have throughout the building, they have, you know, the feeds of all the different studios. And the whole thing was like everyone wanted to watch Prince rehearse and he was there. And but then he like wouldn't the rehearsal wasn't happening. And then people were like all the rumors were like Prince refuses to rehearse. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't care. Like he'll be fine. And then um, so eventually he came on and you got to see he literally just like walked on stage did the song, like threw his guitar to someone and walked right off and was like, I'm done. I'm not. That's false. <laughs> so it was just fun. And then uh, I actually got to see Prince in an, in the elevator um, where I was approaching the elevator and he had this huge bodyguard and I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I'm allowed to go in here, like whatever. And and Prince kind of gave like a like an it's fine thing. But I was just very, I was like, nah, you're good. I'm, I don't, you know, I don't need to like, again get yelled at or do something wrong here so i i, I uh, let him leave without sharing the elevator and i regret it to this day oh that <laughs> that, that 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 would be a regret of yeah, mine definitely. if i ever had a chance to share an elevator with prince yeah i was a big big prince guy uh the my favorite band that i got to see i think just on snl was probably red hot chili peppers oh, nice. nice they were they were there my season and i'm not even a big like huge chili pepper fan but I don't know. It was just cool. Like everyone was more excited for them for some right. reason. So, so who would you have been excited to see? In, in, um, you like probably. I mean, Springsteen's my guy. So, nice. uh, I got to see him walking around when I was at Conan, um, but I didn't like get to meet or anything. Right. But uh, yeah, he would probably be my favorite. Like to actually sit in the stands and watch uh, rehearse and all that. But now, uh, what's one best piece of advice that you you got so far? Ever? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I already said it, but I think, I think I like the whole, like anytime I reflect on anything, I just, it helps so much to know that nothing's personal, mm -hmm. no matter how much something seems very personal, because, you know, a lot of times you feel, you know, like if you do something wrong as an intern or whatever, or, or in comedy or doing a show and you don't do well and someone says something that. You know, they're like, oh, this guy sucks or 
whatever. You just mess up, and they're like, what were you doing? And it feels very like, I'm not good at this. But you know, like, at, no matter what situation, it's always that person is, they're just doing their job, and they're selfish. They don't want to mess up. They don't really care. They're not going to remember you unless there's a real reason. <laughs> right. So I think just nothing is personal, no matter what. Even if, you know, you submit something and you think it's going to be like the biggest break and someone says, hey, this is not what we're looking for. It's not personal. It's just literally at that moment in time, it's not what we're looking for. So you can't like let that ruin your whole psyche and you just have to keep writing everything and who knows what could happen. Right. So. so what inspired you to pursue a career in stand-up comedy? Um... Just enjoying, uh, like, school as a youth, I guess. Because, I, I, like, around my family, I was, I was more just quiet and, I don't know, I was like a spectator and I just let my brother do everything. He was older and, and like, my family didn't think that I would be a performer type. But then in school, I guess you get attention from doing, you know, goofy things or whatever. And then, and then just entertainment, like movies and, right. and stuff. Like Adam class, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you see, like I was a big Adam Sandler fan because of his albums that he right. did. So, and I didn't even know about like SNL at the time and all that. But you know, you just watch entertainment and you're like, oh, I bet I could do that. And then your parents say, like, that's stupid. <laughs> like, not everyone. You don't just get to do that. You know, because they're trying to be smart. So then it becomes a challenge of like, well, I don't know how far could I get. You don't know. And then, yeah, so you just, like, that's what happened. I started with kind of hoping to be a writer because I, I'm, it's, you sound stupid if you say, I want to be Adam Sandler. Or <laughs> so, yeah, you just, every little bit, you know, you get better and you're like, I bet I could keep doing this. And then you just keep trying. And you know. so, so where, where has uh, stand-up comedy taken you thus far? Well, all across the country, really. Wow. But uh, I guess the idea would be just making more money at it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I get booked on a couple little national shows here and there and not on, like, huge venues yet. But um, when I was in L.A., I got to do all the ones I wanted to, like the Improv and nice. Comedy Store and um, New York. I got in Comedy Cellar. So, um, Those are all the that big led ones. To, yeah. So then that led to, like, the, the Gutfeld show. Because I used to just say, you know, if, if you get just on TV, it means someone trusts you to be a personality. And, you know, so that was nice of him. And then uh, that leads to more stand-up gigs. So, uh, Any uh, radio-friendly road stories you can share? Mm, probably not radio-friendly. Nice. I don't know. Um, stories of just random run-ins. I, I don't know. One time I, I was driving, when I was first driving across the country to L.A., um, I just kind of I booked a few things, but then also I would just look up random open mics and stop in wherever and do sets. So um, I randomly just didn't had I had zero plan. I was passing Memphis, and I said, "Oh, Memphis this sounds fun. I'll stop on a street over here." And uh, you know, I looked I looked up random shows and things that were going on, and I went into this bar, and then somehow in the back there was like an event going on and it was, I got, I got to just hang out randomly with uh, the keyboardist of Bon Jovi, <laughs> uh, David Bryan. That's awesome. And I knew a guy that did a Broadway show with him, uh, Constantine from American Idol. I don't know if you know. Oh yeah. I American remember Idol. Constantine. Yeah. Constantine Maroulis. So I used him as like a name drop and I was like, Oh, my buddy Constantine like did this. <laughs> and then I, you know, he was nice and whatever, but, so yeah, you just I just pulled over, probably I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but you know, maybe a little tipsy and just kind of kind of rolled into a random bar and just hang out with uh, Bon Jovi uh, people. It, it was a good time. Nice. <laughs> and that's something you wish you had when you were interning, you know, a couple yeah, a couple yeah. of drinks and you need to calm down and smooth in there and Exactly. So that's how you just just drive drunk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> be safe, guys. I shouldn't it's definitely not drunk. I, shouldn't, I don't want to say that. I yeah. just, you know, Maybe had a left a bar after yeah. one or two, yeah. and then still you, staying in your own. And thing. then you mosey on to the next spot. That's all. Right, but float around, <laughs> float around. Yeah. 
So talk about the process of making your own album, stand-up community album. Well, now it's a lot easier just because they have, you know, distribution right. things and stuff. You don't have to, like, get an actual, you know, label. But it is cool just because then you can still get it on Spotify or wherever. And, and then the Gutfeld show and other things sort of helped get it to a couple million people's eyeballs, which was nice. Um, but uh, so I just... I just have been doing the same material for like five or six years. And I just knew that I had enough to where I wanted to do that. And um, I just booked a show. We, f- we filmed it at uh, Cedar Crest College okay. in, in Allentown. Yeah. And because um, it was right when I got back from L.A. So I was like eager to do something. And uh, so I just booked the show and organized everything and whatever and got some guy to record and film and figured i would just once i got the recording i could figure it out from there right so kind of financed it myself and then um once i learned how to do the whole distribution i just got it out there and then started started promoting it that's awesome and it it uh you know broke even i guess (laughs) at least until a little bit later but and then that's what actually got me the first uh sort of recognition get on Gutfeld and all that. Awesome. We got our so first then caller. It's good to uh, promote. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Damage Radio, who's on the line? You know, you mentioned Bobby the Brain Heenan, commentary and not safe for radio. It's like you were trying to invoke me on the phone. <laughs> oh, my God. It's Ron, Ron. What's going on, man? Uh, quite a lot of things here. Calling on a uh, – checking in on a work break here, and uh, I've been trying to listen for a good point of the hour. And, uh, yeah, I mean uh, – uh, great guests as always here, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to have that interweaving of comedy and wrestling. Uh, oh, good, sure. Good. <laughs> it's not the yeah, it's not it's not the uh, the cringe type comedy as a lot of wrestling can be, like <laughs> flapping oh. your leg when applying a headlock, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Franz over at uh, the world famous Monster Factory's commentary up there. Oh, right? okay, nice. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm more on the play-by-play commentary end, but Bobby Heenan was an inspiration of mine as well because I thought, oh, I was too small to wrestle to this, to that, because that was mm. back in the days of the land of the giants, you know, and I was yeah, that's, that's, I'm topping that's... out at 5'9". It's like, okay, how often mm. can I get into the business? So I thought, oh, well, I, at that point I was 11 years old. I saw Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I thought, oh, I'll become a broadcast journalist. <laughs> and you have to call it that, by the way. I'm sorry? You have to call it broadcast journalist to be official Bobby Heenan. Yes. Oh, it has to be the official term there. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's what I've been doing for the better part of a couple of decades now. Yeah, not so. like not like other humanoids out there that don't know the lingo. Yeah, right. the, the humanoids, the Hammeneggers, <laughs> the the whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Afram, we got a big show on Saturday, right? Uh, actually, it's this Friday. It's night. Friday. Okay. Yeah. Friday night, night at flight. the Monster Factory. Nice. Can you talk about it, Afram? Uh, most certainly. So we've got, uh, well, it's going to be probably one of the last times that we see Goldie, although that's kind of uh, hit and miss as he's uh, making his way uh, out west to uh, New the Japan. U.S. version of New Japan. But I was going to say, I knew, I knew Kukler was going to jump right He always does. <laughs> he always does. Gap. <laughs> Just because you're filling in for Porter doesn't mean I still can't uh, bring the... Uh, goodness, bring the fire uh, in, in somebody's direction here, the vitriol. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's Friday Night Fright, uh, kind of a little early Halloween-y type thing, uh, theme, I should say. Uh, we have Bobby Buffet, the uh, former heavyweight champion, challenging Goldie for that heavyweight championship. Uh, also, Travis Jacobs, he'll be taking on a returning Adrian Soriano of Primal Fear. Nice. Uh, that should be a very interesting match, kind of a, a little cross-generational type thing. If they're both, uh, well, they're both fantastic. I'll get more into that uh, for the show. Michelle takes on uh, Michael Z, the assistant of classy Max Sterling. Uh, that individual, Sterling, he'll be defending the arena championship against uh, kind of newcomer Liam Black, uh, who earned the opportunity at the last show. Plus, we'll see world-renowned, the division, uh, the golden era, a whole bunch more. It starts this Friday at 8 p.m., and uh, tickets, $7.50 online, $10 at the door. And I'll be rushing over from work to provide the commentary for that, uh, for that event. And if you can't get down there, well, you can watch on Monster Factory Pro TV on YouTube, and you get to hear my dulcet tones on commentary for the entire event. Nice. And Monster Factory is always a great time and a great wrestling promotion to be at. 
That's where Ian. It's where Ian started too. Yep. He had me come. Uh, we did. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was. I got to do like kind of a Jesse the Body character. Uh, nice. Man. When he was first starting with, uh, we got, we called a Matt Riddle match, and uh, Damian Priest, who at the time I think was Punishment Martinez. Two guys we had That's up correct. here. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was a great time. <laughs> well, Fran, always a pleasure, man. Best of luck on Friday, and I, I know I'll be seeing you real soon. Most certainly. Uh, yeah, I hated to interrupt the flow by calling, but I knew that if I didn't get the chance to, then, uh, uh, you know, opportunities lost and all that. You know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, all that sort of... Uh, well, I'm glad you did. Me too. Yeah, I'm glad you did too, Ferran. Love you, buddy. Absolutely. We'll see you soon, Ferran. Uh, we'll, we'll, I was about to say, we'll see you here on the Family Feud. I'm taking a Richard Dawson cue. All right, <laughs> catch you later. All right, see you, man. So another thing I wanted to say, uh, seven on the iTunes comedy charts, man. How was that? That's pretty pretty, pretty cool. For, uh, yeah. We're all adults here. I was surprised because I didn't know how that stuff works. Like I didn't know it was, I don't want to say easy, but, you know, I didn't know it was, like, day by day doable unless you were, like, a national, you know, right. famous whatever. And then I guess it just goes if you get, like, a few hundred buys within, I don't know, however much time you can kind of break the top whatever. So I don't know how all those algorithms and stuff yeah. work. But, um, you know, if you go by the entire year, I have a feeling I'm nowhere near, uh, <laughs> you know, Bill Burr and uh, all those people. But uh, I can at least pretend for that week that I was. So felt good. <laughs> yeah, you have a new album that's out in yep. February? It, came out? it was. might have been March, I forget. March, okay. But, yeah, it takes a privilege. Talk about that. Well, that was the, the the next one where during COVID, I sort of, you know, there were no shows going on and, and I wasn't getting on Gutfeld anymore because they were using kind of just people in the building and everything. So I got, I felt stagnant and I said, I got to, I got to get something out there. And uh, finally led to once they started having theaters open again, uh, I did all the material that I've been doing since the last album. So we filmed it at uh, Emmaus Theater in Emmaus, and it was very, it was even more of a simple production than the other one. It was just like, you know, all we knew, we didn't even really care about cameras. We just needed the audio. Yeah. Crowd was great. It's a bring, it was a bring your own beer situation. We just got everybody drunk and, uh, and had a good time. So I did look some music on it, brought the keyboard out and did some impressions and goofiness. So fantastic. So check it out. Awesome. I will. <laughs> if people want to find more information about you and the album, where can they go? Well, the Instagram is Chris with a K dot Freed, spelled like fried. Um, and then the, the Patreon will be coming soon. It's going to be patreon.com slash Chris Freed. And that will be where um, the new podcast that we're launching along with the, the uh, series that we filmed is going to be kind of the home base for. So we're going to try to get the Patreon going there. Uh, the show is going to be called Collecting, and then the podcast is called Ignorance is Chris. So, <laughs> and he did some stuff with Corey Castle and, and a couple yeah, of yeah. yeah. I know Corey from way back, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, so I forgot. I went to uh, – forget if he still does the same promotion, but I went to his uh, a big show in uh, like Hoboken Okay. something. That was nice. really great. It was nice. a fun one. So at your time in WWE, what was one of your favorite moments that you enjoyed the most? Um. I mean, really there, it was just sort of, it was just kind of the, 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 the my favorite memory was just seeing the building every day. Because you, when you're a kid, you see it in the, oh, yeah. in like, you know, just commercials and stupid stuff. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of like a, even though I had, I had just coming off, coming, even though I had just come off like SNL and all that, um, just the nostalgia in me of commuting from New York and then you get off the train and you see the big WWE like sign on the building. That's kind of like what like did it for me. I don't know. I was more into just like okay, I'm at least in this you know, I'm in the realm of my childhood here. So, so it was more about it was more about just being appreciative of being there, even though it didn't yeah. lead to a you know big staff writing thing. But but you're hitting all your childhood like kind of like dreams. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. I, I'm 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 pretty decent on the bucket list. I just need to get it to equate to money now. Right. Yes. It's a little more. That's all. Let's go one but. step higher. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. step higher. That that's the same thing with <laughs> me too. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you, uh, if you were a writer on there, is there any like things that you would have changed during that era? 
Um, well, the one, I don't know how this hasn't been done yet, but I pitched, um, when I, what, what got me the interview to, to be a writer in the, to begin with was with the money in the bank. I don't, I want them to do a, a co money in the bank situation okay. where, you know, two people fall off grasping the briefcase at the same time. So they both hit the ground holding kind of like the it. Rumble thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then so cuz then the fun with it is that they're a co they they co-own the money in the bank briefcase, right? Right. So they can, you know, one episode some guy runs down and he says I'm cashing it in and the other guy doesn't agree. And then the next time the other guy tries to do it and he says, "Well, I don't agree to do it." So the only way you can do it is that you have to agree to a triple threat situation or, you know, so you have fun with it that way. I feel like that whole contract thing got very stagnant. Yeah, it did. It's always just, it, they've literally done every single time, it's just, you try to take advantage of the beat up guy. Like, right. they haven't done anything with that. Except so. for the one time in 06 when they did it with Van Damme. Yeah, that's the only, that's and they need to do more of that, where someone doesn't take the, you know, the wuss way out. And you say, I'm cashing in legitimately you know, at WrestleMania or whatever big hype thing you want to do. Right. But they need to do more baby face cash in, yeah. I think. But, so, but Chris, thanks so much for coming up and sharing your story. Thank you. and, well, thank you for having me. Love to have you come up again, talk some more professional wrestling. And, Whenever. Uh, we need to get Ian here at the same time. I tried yeah. to get him up yeah. here. He didn't want we'll to step on his some, toes, he said. Some real weird stories. Definitely, man. <laughs> Definitely. Well, John, Professor, you coming up, man. Hopefully, you come up again soon. Absolutely. Rachel, listening. Nice to meet everybody. Aaron, loving it. And Danny Kukler. So remember, guys, don't keep Thank it nice you. and neat. Keep it completely damaged on MonkerRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Great voice. Duck. Completely damaged. Completely damaged.